How many of you um, are finished with the Christmas shopping? Raise your hands high. You make us sick. How many of you have not even started yet? And you're proud of it. I can see that. Oh, that's sin as well. Okay. All right. We're off to a great start this morning. Very sinful crowd. So imagine um, that you are drinking whatever it is in the morning, coffee, tea, or hot chocolate. You're reading the newspaper. And all of a sudden, you turn the pages of the newspaper. You rarely do the obituary section, but you do this morning. And there is a picture of you in the obituary section. And you see your name... And you see that you died yesterday, but you're actually on your own kitchen table reading the obituary section, and there's a picture of you, and you're going, oh my goodness. Now, that probably won't happen to anybody in this room, right? Probably not. But it did happen in the late 1880s to a Swedish chemist. Alfred Nobel is reading the newspaper flipping through the obituary section, and he sees his picture and a caption that says, Doctor of Death died yesterday. They got Alfred and his brother confused, and his brother died the day before. Now, Alfred Nobel is known for making dynamite. He had a younger brother who also passed away in a nitroglycerin explosion in a warehouse. And so as a Swedish chemist, he said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to find stable elements for explosives. And Alfred Nobel actually patented um, dynamite. And, uh, of course, most people use dynamite for tunnels and bridges and, you know, moving things away so they could, they could uh, get roads and things in and mining. But a few of the czars used dynamite against, you know, their enemies. And so they captured this article, Doctor of Death Dies. And Alfred Nobel thought to himself, that's how I'm going to be remembered? That's the purpose of my life, doctor of death. Now, I think every one of us in this room, if we're honest, and you look honest because you confessed your sins about not even starting the Christmas shopping yet, but I think if you're honest, most of us in this room, we've struggled with purpose. At some point, a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, a season, all of us in this room have struggled with, what is my purpose in life? And we've all probably gone through those different seasons trying to figure out what is it that we're supposed to do and where are we supposed to be. And I'm not sure that there's like just, there is one overarching purpose for your life is to bring God glory. No question about that. But you can have multiple purposes going on in your life at different times. You might be a single female today. And as a single female, you might be going to school part-time and going to work part-time. You might also um, be leading a, a, a women's Bible study or a connect group. So there's multiple purposes that you can have in your life. But there's probably definitely one overarching purpose, which is to bring God amazing glory. But we've all struggled with that. In fact, it's been said you can live 40 days without food. You can live four days without water. You can live four minutes without air, but you can't live four seconds without hope. And hope and purpose are first cousins. And so the question this morning is, 
what is the purpose of Christmas? And is there a purpose to this entire Christmas story? So Alfred Nobel, after going into this severe depression toward the very end of his life, decided that he was going to take all his fortune, he never married, by the way, take all his fortune and put it into a foundation that would be known as the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, if you're a pitcher, baseball pitcher, you want to pitch in the seventh game of the World Series. If you are a scientist or a mathematician or an inventor, you want to win a Nobel Peace Prize. And so that's how he then became known. And more people today know him for the Nobel Peace Prizes than they do even for the inventor of of dynamite. And so what's the purpose? Well, I've got a couple different Christmas presents in mind that might help us with your purpose. Now, I don't know if you've received these gifts or not. I don't know if you've given these gifts or not. But the first one is the telescope. How many of you in your life have ever received a telescope for a Christmas present or a birthday present or something? Okay. How many of you have ever bought one for somebody or you've given one to somebody? Okay. A few more of you. Okay. So the telescope, obviously, is long range. And I want you to think about your life this morning, that there is a long range goal. There's definitely something that you've got to keep the end in mind. But another gift that maybe you've received is the microscope. How many of you have ever gotten a microscope before? Ever bought a microscope before? How many of us have used microscopes in biology, chemistry? Okay, we've pretty much all of us have done that. So you see that that's kind of up front. Now I'll put both pictures on here because both of these are necessary in your life. You've got to have this long-range view, but you've also got to know what to do today. If you don't know what to do today, the microscope, you'll never get to the long-range plans. And so we're going to think about these two Christmas presents or tools today as we talk about the purpose of, of Christmas. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're not really sure about the whole, you know, Jesus thing at Christmas time, but you're here today and, and you like the music and you like your family and friends. So I want to take the telescope for just a minute and I want to turn it around. Instead of looking forward, I want to take the telescope now and look back at the last 2,000 years of history, church history. And I want to talk about some of the great accomplishments that have have occurred because of Christianity. Did you know that we have hospitals today because of Christianity? People discarded their family and their friends and their coworkers when the plagues began. When there was a plague, you kicked your family to the curb because you don't want the plague, you don't want to die. It was the believers who actually started the first crude hospitals with more like huts or more like, more like tents. We have hospitals today, and you think about it, they're named St. Mary or St. Joseph or Baptist East or Methodist Hospital. Or You think about all the hospitals started from Christianity. Literacy started with Christianity. The Christians realized that people in poverty We're not going to get out of poverty. They were going to repeat that cycle. And so the believers then began to say, you know what? If we help people with literacy, they can then get better jobs. And if we teach them how to read, they'll be able to read the Scriptures, which the Scriptures then will help them spiritually, and the Scriptures can help them to know industry and how to work better. All that got started. Literacy in the Dark Ages got started because of Christianity. Universities. We have major universities today because of Christianity. 
Yale, Harvard, Princeton, they were all started to teach men, young men, how to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Slavery. Slavery got abolished eventually all because of the influence of Christianity. William Wilberforce across the pond in England and our own Abraham Lincoln had strong convictions, strong convictions that this didn't line up with their Christian faith. I don't know why any woman would be a Muslim. I really don't. That's a faith that's so restrictive and confining, and yet Christianity has done everything just the opposite for women. It has liberated women. It has elevated women. It has protected women. It has provided for women. And you think about the the child labor laws that we have now today. Children used to work 12, 13, 14 hours in these sewing shops or sweatshops, but it was the Christians It was the Christians who got involved and made a difference. So when you look through the telescope of the last 2,000 years, you see the impact and the influence of Christianity upon our culture and upon our nation and upon upon our, our land. Well, let's turn the telescope around now, and let's look toward the end of your life. Because someday, someday, uh, we'll be reading about your obituary. And what do you want your life to? to look like at the end of the day when all the chips have to go back into the box and you're done, what do you want to have said about your life? What is your purpose? Well, that's the long distance one, but it always starts up close. It always starts very, very personal. So let's look at this first verse out of Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew says, she will give birth to a son. You're to name him uh, Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So where do you start with your faith? You start with this whole thing called sin. You start with this whole thing called there's a sin issue. And the sin issue can't be done, can't be dealt away, can't be pushed away by good deeds, by good works. You can't help enough old ladies across the street to save yourself from your own sins. Billy Graham and Mother Teresa fell, she's dead, but he's alive, fell far short of of the standard of righteousness. Nobody can save themselves from eternal damnation. It's a relationship with the Savior. Look at the next verse out of Luke. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. Let's go now to Luke chapter 1, verse 31, I think. Yep. You will conceive, you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Why? Verse 32. Because he is going to be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? I love this answer. And we're going to come back to this. Because I thought this verse applied to Mary, and Mary only. It does apply to Mary, but this verse also applies to you. So I'm foreshadowing where we're going in just about five minutes. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power, the power of the Most High, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. Physically, God came upon that womb. Physically, God caused conception inside that womb. Physically, materially, something very powerful and majestic took place. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. So let me ask you this question again. 
what do you think the purpose of Christmas is? What, what's the purpose of Christmas? People say, oh, Christmas, it's, it's so commercialized. It's so commercialized. I, I, I don't really agree with that. That's just being negative to me. I love the Christmas lights, don't you? I love the Christmas trees. I love somebody spends, you know, two days putting all that stuff in their yard. I want to honk and, you know, praise God and two thumbs up and that's great. And that's their electric bill. It's not mine. Praise God, you know. <laughs> I think it's cool. I do. Um, the Christmas gifts, don't you enjoy giving gifts? Uh, and I think we all enjoy receiving gifts. And, and so I don't know that Christmas is too commercialized. I think it's too trivialized. I think we trivialize the whole point of Christmas. Here's the point of Christmas. The point of Christmas is that God is going to intersect into history. And God is going to intersect into humanity. And God is going to intersect into your destiny. That's the whole point of Christmas. God intersected into history. God came into history. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. God intersects into history. God intersects into humanity. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Father whom He has sent, full of grace and full of truth. And God intersects into your life, into your destiny. Now, how does this work? Well, it always starts with a trigger. God always does something. There's a trigger. There's a circumstance. There's a situation. There's a person. There's a prayer. There's a billboard. Somebody's praying for you. Somebody invites you to church. Somebody asks you about your faith. I asked a lady yesterday at the cleaners, do you have a faith? We had a good five-minute discussion about how she doesn't, but she's looking for one. Somebody triggers something in your life. You're watching a rerun of a Billy Graham, and all of a sudden, you feel this thing called conviction. Now, conviction is where God is now, the Holy Spirit is coming upon you, and the power of the Most High is trying to overshadow you. At that moment of conviction, you have to figure out, what am I going to do? Am I going to, I feel bad, I feel guilty, I feel insecure, I feel I feel overwhelmed, something's going on, but I don't know that I want to give my life to Christ. And during the point of conviction, there is a wrestling match taking place. And this wrestling match, it is ugly. And you're struggling. Well, if I do this, that means I can't go there, and I can't be with her, and I can't do that with him. And if I give my life to Christ, that means I can't do this. And so this wrestling match is going on inside of you. It is not to be taken lightly. It's called conviction. And at this point, you have two roads to go down. One road of conviction is I'm going to surrender and I'm going to receive Christ. I'm going to bow my knee. I'm not the captain of my ship. I'm going to give my life to him. That's one road. The other road is I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to surrender. I'm going to resist. I'm going to rebel. I'm going to do it, as Frank Sinatra saying, my way. Well, he's not doing it his way today. Trust me on that. Okay? And so that's what happens during conviction. Now, let's say that you do give your life to Jesus. Because the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's coming upon you. And the Most High is going to overshadow you. 
And so let's say you give your life to Jesus. What exactly happens at that moment? You ever thought about this before? When there's conversion, what gets converted? And really what's going on inside of you? Well, it's really kind of simple. You are three pieces. You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit. You have a body. That's easy to see right now, right? But you also have a spirit, and you also have a soul. What gets saved during this conviction process? It's your spirit. Everybody says we're going to save souls. That's not true. It's your spirit. Your spirit's what gets saved. Now here, let me explain it like this. What happens? Here's your human spirit inside of you, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the power of the Most High overshadows you. And at some point when God overshadows your life, your human spirit is now encapsulated and dominated by the Holy Spirit of God. And you are forever saved. And from that moment on, your spirit is clean. Your spirit is lily white. All your sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven. At conversion, God is so powerful, so majestic. At conversion, your human spirit is no longer unregenerate. And so from now on, when God sees you, that's a daughter of mine. She's got the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's a son of mine. He's got the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's a child of mine. From now on, folks, that's got to happen. That's, the, mic- that's, the, that's the, the microscope. Before you get to the telescope in your life, the, the, that's got to take place. So you give your life to Christ. And at that moment, your human spirit is overshadowed by his Holy Spirit, and you are forever saved, forever. Well, how come I still don't feel great? How come I still feel insecure? How come I still feel guilty? How come I still feel shame? How come I still got all these emotions just flowing inside of me? How come all this gunk and junk is going on inside of me? That's not your spirit. That's your soul. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And friends, I'd like to tell you that that got saved too, but it didn't. Your mind, your will, and emotions are what you're going to struggle with for the rest of your life. And so the more you sin as a believer, the more turbulent your waters are going to be. And the less you sin as a believer, the more calm and peaceful your waters are going to be. And now as a Christian, you have a choice. You grab the handle of faith or you grab the handle of fear every single day. You grab one of those two handles. You grab the handle of virtues. I'm going to apply the godly Christian biblical virtues or I'm going to grab the handle of vices and I'm going to implore the vices and I'm going to play the game and I'm going to walk the, you know, go through all this. Again, you kind of decide with this whole soul thing how turbulent the waters are going to be. So I thought about, how do I explain this? Because this is what God's going to do to you for a conviction. If you're not a Christian, there's a trigger. He's going to come to you. And the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. But it happens more when you're a believer. The more you live in Christ the more the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and the more the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. So I thought, how can I give you some kind of a picture to understand that? So I've got a little 45-second video that I want you to watch right now, and then we'll talk about it.
That was actually me on the surfboard. I had a, I had a few hours of break this past week. I looked good on that surfboard, didn't I? So I thought about the wave. And I thought about if the wave is like, have you been caught in one of those? I know some of you have been caught in some of those waves. But you've been inside. It's like God just overwhelms you. That, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Just think of the wave and how God just comes to just encapsulate you. You felt that. And that's how God's going to work in your life. You have to push back not to go forward. You have to push back because God's going forward. He's going forward with your life. He's going forward with your life. He's going forward with your life. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you to be something. To be something. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you to do something. All of your life, it's being and doing. It's never Christian Retirement 101. It's always being and it's always doing. It will be that way all of your life. And you get to choose whether or not you want to be in the flow of where God is leading you. So again, I'm trying to help you to understand maybe how this works. And I thought, okay, let me just give a couple of examples in, in my own life. And I, I thought about this when I was 14 years old. And we didn't go to church. We didn't have a church family background. You know, there's no pastors in my family. Are you kidding? They don't even understand what I do to this day. But but so I'm 14 years old, and we're going to some different churches and visiting them. And, and there's a pastor in our home, Dennis Fulton. Dennis Fulton's preacher is in our home. And I've been out playing basketball, and I walk through the living room, and I come in there. I'm sweating, you know, from head to toe. And I come in there, and I sit down, and I can hear the word hell. And I, I caught my ear, and, and the preacher is talking about hell to my dad. And I thought, this is going to be good. My dad's going to tell him to go straight to hell. I don't want to miss this. And so I sat down just, you know, expecting fireworks. And my dad got real humble. And my dad got, you know, in that moment even, giving his life to Christ. And I could just, I could just feel something in our living room with my mom and my dad and myself. It was like that was, that was a trigger. That's how the Holy Spirit began to work. I've told you before, I was 18 years old going to Purdue, and all of a sudden it's a Sunday night church service, and I am over. I've never thought once about being a preacher, not one time. And all of a sudden I am overwhelmed with the presence of God knowing, knowing that's exactly what I was supposed to do. I was 20, Danita was 17 when we met, so fast forward about two more years. We dated about three and a half, but I was probably 22-ish. I knew. I knew she was the one. I, I just had to talk her into it. But I knew. I knew. And, and, and it was like, you need her because you don't understand church world. And she's been going to church nine months before she was ever born. And I need her. She does. She's, she's been going to church her entire life. I need her to come alongside to help you so you can do this. I, I remember when I was 25 and we're in graduate school. And I'm on the Ph.D. track. It's a five-year program. I'm halfway through the, the Ph.D. track. And I was going to be a professor. And I told Anita I was going to be a professor. She didn't want to marry a preacher. But I told her I was going to be a professor. And um, I got halfway through that program. And I knew, again, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit overshadows you. And I knew that I was to be a pastor because I like people so very much. Fast forward a couple years later than that, I was probably 32, 33 years old in Memphis, Tennessee. And a guy named Maxie Dunham was at Methodist Church, Maxie Dunham. And he would have moments with Maxie on the radio, kind of a slick little slogan, moments with Maxie. And it was only this one minute. And I remember one of his little devotionals, and he said, you know that you can trust God. But does God know whether or not he can trust you? And I can remember how the Holy Spirit just was all over me at that moment going, yeah, I know I can trust God, but I'm not sure God can trust me in every situation, every circumstance. And that became then a quest for my life. The wedding chapel, it's another really good example. Several of us leaders were just like overshadowed The power of the Holy Spirit just overshadowed us that our country has got to understand marriage. And our country is in trouble. Without the home being the foundation, our country will never be healed. But if we understand that God has a great plan for the family, and the family plan starts with the marriage, and the marriage unit has to be solid... That, that, that's a beautiful building. There's no question about it. That was a gorgeous, it's going to be a gorgeous facility. But that's not the point. The point is the, the weight of this is the pastoral care. The weight of this ministry is how we do premarital counseling, how we do postmarital counseling, and how we come alongside of people for a year and how we teach them about marriage. This little chapel can change all of Pinellas County. This little chapel can change all of Florida. This little chapel can change the United States of America. Who knows what God has in store? All I know is the Holy Spirit came upon us, and the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed us. And and when He does that with you, you know that you know that you know He's calling you to be something, and He's calling you to do something. And so like right now, where's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Where's he at work in your life? I guarantee you he's coming to you, and he came to you, and he has come to you again and again and again and again and again. And in those moments, in those moments, he's asking you to be something, and he's asking you to do something. Maybe he's asking you to forgive somebody. You've been holding a grudge with somebody. You ever walked into a room, and it's somebody that you know, and all of a sudden you just feel compelled to start praying for them? And the Holy Spirit just kind of overshadows you. And I, I got to pray for her. I got I to gotta pray for him. I got to come alongside of him. Maybe it's to give somebody something. Maybe it's to buy somebody something. Maybe it's to encourage somebody at work to come to Christmas Eve. I don't know what it is. All I want you to do is to experience it and embrace it. And when it comes, when he comes, and he does come, and he will come again and again and again, when he comes, you embrace it. And when you do, it's peaceful waters. It's not turbulent waters. It's peaceful. So how is God scripturally, biblically at work? I want to show you just two quick little verses, two two sections. One is from 2 Corinthians. It's God. It is God. Now it is God. Don't miss that. Who's the one driving this? Who's the catalyst? Who's the one behind this? Now it is God. Say that with me. Now it is God. Say it again. Now it is God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You got both the microscope and the telescope in that scripture. 
the deposit, the guaranteeing what is to come. That's the telescope. The microscope is he anoints you, he sets his seal on you, he puts his spirit in you. Look at what Paul says in the book of Philippians. For it is God who works in you. You're not coming up with this on your own. You're not figuring out your own ministry. You're not figuring out how to change lives. You're not figuring out how to make a difference. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His, His great purposes. Oh, my friends, the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas is God is going to intersect history, humanity, and your destiny. Several years ago, a guy named Dr. Francis Allen wrote this. Just give me 30 more seconds, if you would. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked as a carpenter until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And when he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property that he even had on the earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed tomb in a grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries, twenty centuries have come and gone, and he is still the central figure of the human race today. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, All the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of men or women on this earth as much as this one solitary life. And so you have a chance today, and you have an opportunity for the rest of your life to let the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And for the the Most High to overshadow you for the rest of your life today. If you're not a Christian, you can go from conviction to conversion. And if you're a believer, you can reach out and grab that handle of faith and that handle of virtues and forever be in the center of God's amazing will. So I I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front right now. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up at this point right now. And I want to have a corporate prayer time for you and over you. Jesus, you came. 700 years before you came, the prophet Isaiah said you were coming. And you came. And you intersected history and humanity and and you've intersected my destiny and all of our destinies. And and Lord Jesus, I want to pray for those that are under some conviction right now in this room. 
I want to pray that you move them from conviction to conversion. I want to pray that you, you give them the power to accept you and receive you and embrace you and surrender to you. I want to pray that they'll come down front and tell one of our prayer partners and, and be prayed for and be prayed with and prayed over. And they'll begin a journey. And I, I want to pray for the rest of us in the room as well. For many of us in this room, we've, we've went from conviction to conversion. And we need to just continue to say yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. What do you want me to be? Yes, Lord. What do you want me to do? Yes, Lord. And that the, the telescope, that when my life is over, I, I will have given you and we will have given you great glory and honor no matter what season of life that we're in. We'll have the purpose of giving you glory and honor. And that the, the microscope things that we need to do today to grow in our faith, that we will do those things today. God, I I thank you for my friends in this room. I thank you for our opportunity to change families, to change culture, to change our community. I thank you for our opportunities to impact schools and workplaces. And that we're not driving it. We're just receiving it. And we're faithfully following you. Oh, God. Where we've missed it, where we've blown it, forgive us. Forgive us. But you're rich in mercy and you're rich in grace. Give us a chance today. Give us another chance tomorrow. Let the power of your Holy Spirit come upon us. And may the power of of your Spirit just the Most High overshadow us. We are your children, and we love, we love this amazing story of Christmas. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.